Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, Chad is actually back with you next week. So I just wanted to start off uh, having a quick conversation about student loan debt. Uh, Obviously, you've been hearing about this everywhere. This is probably the topic of conversation, I assume. I mean, I guess maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of people, if you went and saw anyone over the weekend, I feel like this one's going to permeate a lot of different levels. And certainly no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, I think that there's a potential for this conversation to have a similar sound (laughs) for a lot of people. Uh, That would be people who didn't go to college. And so I want to give you two examples of what I'm talking about. One is a a real story, and I guess I could choose your own adventure this and ask you to pick which one of the two is a real story. Uh, The other one is someone I know exists but don't know anyone that falls into this category, and maybe I'm going to be a little bit extreme uh, with just how far the example goes. But here we go. Uh, The first story, the first person to me that is very upset after the student loan debt forgiveness move of a President Biden last week, and by the way, I do think there's going to be legal challenges to this, And everyone I talk to, and maybe I'm talking to the wrong experts, uh, you might think that. I'm not sure uh, if that's true. Uh, But all the experts that I have conversations with seem to say that there is a chance that a legal challenge would would work. Uh, Some of the rules, some of the things they're using, like the uh, 2003 HEROES Act, for example, uh, some of those things could be interpreted interpreted differently uh, in the eyes of law, in the eyes of the courtroom, and decide that Biden doesn't have this unilateral power to forgive massive amounts of student loans uh, for a ton of the people in our country. But anyway, here are the two examples. The first one is someone who wanted to go to college, Uh, got good enough grades in school to go to college, uh, thought long and hard about the decision, though, might have even sat down with some sort of financial planner at the school that they would choose to go to and say, hey, uh, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the reasons why I believe college is the right decision for me but I want to be cautious. I want to know the numbers of this. Can you go through them with me? And when that person goes through all the financial numbers, this person decided they couldn't afford it. Now, this person is rare by a standard uh, that existed for years and years and years. A lot of young people, uh, whether they uh, use the excuse that they were told they had to go to college or they just decided that they were definitely going no matter what, and there were programs and things available to them that they could sign Uh, pieces of paper and decide, I'll worry about that later. A whole lot of people, a whole lot of adults uh, by the standard of our society um, wrote down on a document that they were going to owe a lot of money that they didn't even care to think I could afford. Can I afford this? Yes or no. Didn't cross their mind. For the few and far between that it did, those individuals probably went a different road. Uh, They found another career path. Uh, They worked their way up. It's something that I assume is very challenging. I went to college Uh, My path was very challenging. That's the only reason I say assume uh, is because I want to be honest. And I did get student loan uh, debt forgiveness. I'm not laughing because I'm happy about that, by the way. I'll get to that in a second. I'm just laughing because it's such an awkward time to be alive uh, in the sense. What I mean by that is that I don't want the thing I'm being given by the government. And I don't uh, want to argue with those in my generation who think it's the most amazing and appropriate thing ever. Uh, but I digress. So the individual I'm talking about worked their way up for years and years and years, chose whatever the profession is that they wanted to, to seek out anyway, but did it without debt and hopefully had a successful career. Now, uh, that individual, all these years later, who came uh, to the brink of wanting to, to go to school, 
but choosing not to because they were financially uh, making the right choice at that time in their life, they're now going to have to help pay off the uh, student loans for everyone who went the other road. That's fundamentally unfair. There's no version of a conversation where anyone says, no, 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 that's totally fair. That makes sense. If you give an example like that in a conversation you might be having with friends or family, uh, everyone would say, I can picture that. I can see that person. And by the way, this is the person that does not exist, or at least I don't know them specifically. I'm sure they exist. And Facebook.com slash Chad Benson Show, Facebook.com slash Craig Collins Show. You can send us, uh, send Chad uh, any of those comments of people, if you're one of those individuals who said, yeah, college would help me be a better professional, or at least that's what I thought at 18. Not true, by the way, for a lot of people, uh, but that's what you think then. But I can't afford this, so I'm not going to do it. The second example is the real one. This is a person I actually know. Uh, it's a family member that's rather close to me in my life. Uh, this individual uh, got a, a girlfriend pregnant at 17 years old, had his first kid decided to drop out of high school, get a GED, and then decided to go ahead and, and move in with and marry uh, the uh, girlfriend. He had a second kid at 20, actually got divorced from that woman, married another woman, had a third kid, uh, and struggled a lot throughout his life. But I admire this person a lot uh, because he went to a restaurant, I don't need to say which one, and started working whatever shift they had, started cooking, even though he wasn't a great cook uh, growing up. Uh, but this is something that he learned to do. And then he decided, you know what? I need school. I need an education for me, the path I want to go, the business career that I want to have. So what did he do? He signed up for community college. He signed up for late night classes. He signed up for anything he could sign up for that would be around his work schedule. Then he saved additional dollars, every paycheck, every way in which he could to afford the low cost version of college that does exist. In a lot of communities, he didn't go to a state school. He didn't sign a four-year loan agreement to go ahead and pay for anything that he thought he couldn't afford. He did all of this while saving money, while scraping to get by, while providing for a family. Uh, he then decided to go ahead and try to get an internship at a company he wanted to work at on the side while still making money, still doing the job that paid all the bills, but after getting out of college without a loan, uh, then he went the step of working his way up through that company to today be a valuable member of the corporate organization that owns it. When I talked to him last week, he was livid about student loan debt forgiveness. And I, I laugh because of the anger I cannot portray to you. I can't tell you all the different moments in which during that conversation, he went back through the tough road that he worked and the fact that he's been a Democratic voter for a long time. This is not someone who's uh, voting on the side of the aisle that say, that say to many who, who like that decision last week actually are people that say, well, of course you don't support it. You're on the other side of the aisle. And so I just thought it was interesting when I thought of that one example that I assume is true but don't know it's true, and then the other family friend who raised three children while paying for school. And they say there's a lot of politicians out there, we'll get to audio a little later on in the show, who say that that's impossible. You can't pick up a job. You can't work on the side. You can't work two jobs uh, and pay for college. You can't pay for it with a summer uh, uh, career of some kind. Uh, that's simply not true. And what I'm saying by that is that depending on the school you choose, the university you choose to go to or lack thereof in the world of a university, you can get an education. Uh, you can get an education in most communities, and you can do it affordably as proven by this family member of mine. And honestly, when I, I talked to him again, 
I will feel the amount of shame that I felt during that first conversation because I somehow benefited from it. Uh, by the way, he did pay off his, his wife's student loan. His wife had went to a different um, type of education. I went to a different uh, school that was much more costly uh, because they got a one-time inheritance uh, from a family member who had passed away. This was a sad story, certainly, but that was a, a caveat to it. And this just happened a few years ago, too. So uh, my family member, who had been working his whole life and is still now certainly much more successful in his career, but still finding ways to count numbers and, and move money in certain directions, had the opportunity to, to do something a little bit better for his family, but again chose the responsible decision to pay off remaining debt and now finds out that that debt would have been taken care of and that money could go to something else. It's certainly a challenged conversation, a difficult conversation for anyone like me uh, that got student loan debt forgiveness, an initial reaction uh, is to say, wow, I just, I just wound up less in debt. That is, that is something that's hard for me to dislike. But you have to think about it. You have to walk yourself through the steps, walk yourself through the lives of others. And this is what I think is so interesting about this. I know it's a long rant. I promise we'll move on to other things in a bit. And we'll take a break in just a second here. But what I think is so tremendously interesting about all of this is that Democrats are typically the party that say they're there for the people who struggle. They're there, that's at least what they say, that they wanna help those in the most need. They wanna use a, a stronger government, a more well-funded government to not line their own pockets. No, 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 Hunter Biden, shh, let's not talk about that. Uh, they're there to help you. There's a lot of people that fall into the category of that first person I talked about, or even the second person, the person that I know, that are lifelong Democrats who hate this, who truly, truly hate the unfairness of this decision. It is interesting that yet again, those Democrats say one thing and then do something quite a bit different. All right, quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. Running with scissors sounds great compared to this. Say This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Chad is back next week. Lots of things out there in the world, as I always say. Lots of conversations to be had. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Toyota is working on something that they're calling hitchless towing. Uh, it would work via a connected Wi-Fi system. I imagine some kind of additional thing that actually does uh, connect the cars together. Uh, I say working on because it's not completed exactly the way all that will happen. Uh, but I think it's so interesting about this conversation about them being proud of, say, uh, this potential decision making is how horrible it might wind up being. Uh, what I mean by that is, let's say Wi-Fi goes out uh, just for a quick second. Uh, I don't know why everyone in the world of technology thinks about it differently <laughs> than the rest of us. But Wi-Fi crashes. Wi-Fi goes down from time to time. It, it even just like goes out for a split second and then comes right back. All of these things would be bad in the world of you towing something behind your vehicle. Uh, that is connected via Wi-Fi, and then the Wi-Fi no longer working. Uh, this is a question that many have had on social media uh, when asking, when seeing this news, so I figured I'd pass it along too. Uh, I wonder if there might be some locking mechanism, though, uh, to make sure that it wouldn't totally be a horrific thing, but it, it's just odd. The thing, Actually, I have another story in the world of science uh, that I think is, is even worse as far as just uh, things going out there in the world, things that probably are not uh, appropriate decisions. Uh, scientists uh, created an embryo with a brain and a beating heart entirely from stem cells. Um, that in and of itself is, is terrifying to me. 
uh, for several reasons. And I know there's going to be scientists that say, oh, no, no, this is great. They, all, the, all the good stuff is going to happen when we can uh, do enough to like build a human uh, from the stem cell research that we're doing. But we've not learned from any of the mistakes we've made so far. That seems to be the, the end uh, thing in the world of science, the end result. Something like coronavirus, something like the potential for a Wuhan lab leak that I know is still debated as to whether or not that's a thing that actually did cause COVID. Uh, it's hard to think that it didn't, and it would be great to get information this much time after that whole thing happened uh, from China, and yet, darn it, we're still not there. Uh, but I saw that story, and I thought to myself, wow, uh, is there ever going to be a moment where eventually the scientists say, you know what, for the good of society, uh, because of the mistakes that have been made in the past, this is probably not something we should keep doing. The answer appears to be no. Uh, in other news, and maybe this is something that I guess is good news to some, uh, bad news to many, 70% uh, of us would rather work a 10-day, uh, four-day week uh, than work a five-day, eight-hour-a-day work week. I had this conversation with a younger person, uh, someone who thought this would be the best thing ever, and I asked them, like, oh, in your life, have you ever put in 10 hours a day at anything? And they're like, no, that's not, that's not something they actually don't even work full-time now. They work part-time currently. And I asked them if they thought that they would be productive for 10 hours a day, if that's something they didn't do a lot of. They go, yeah, yeah, of course, because I'll get that three-day weekend. Uh, I imagine what happens here is that a lot of people who say aren't people that have done any version, any semblance of this before, uh, will wind up, oh, I don't know, shocking to say it, uh, slacking off more, maybe, uh, during that 10-hour period, probably getting the same amount of work done on a Monday that you typically get done on a Monday. It doesn't matter if you're punched in for eight hours, 10, or 20. You could be punched in most of the day, uh, and I know you'll probably sleep during that time. I feel like the same thing will happen. I, I don't know why a lot of the people that I've, I've talked to about this uh, seem to think the exact opposite. And as I said, 70% of us would rather try the four-day, 10-hour workday than do the eight-hour-a-day day we're doing now. Uh, but how many times have you had that conversation or how many times have you seen it on, say, social media, uh, someone saying they need a healthy work-life balance? They need to, to be off the clock when they're away from work, not answering texts, not answering emails, not doing any of that stuff. How would that feel when you're working a job that is two hours longer every single day? If you have an eight-to-five job, if you have to punch out to go to lunch, that's now an eight-to-seven job. And then when you get home, you have very little time to do anything. I know this because I'm in radio. And at times in your life when working in radio, you pick up other jobs. So you work 10, 12-hour days sometimes uh, while trying to work in this field or a competitive field. I'm sure a lot of other fields, uh, same thing. And you know what that feels like to get home and be like, all right, I have to eat, sleep, and then wake up tomorrow. I have no time to do a lot of other things. So I love this as a, yeah, I want to do that. I also love this as something that doesn't work long-term, in my opinion. Anything can work short-term. That's the other thing I love about, I know I'm going to belabor this just a bit. Give me a little longer on this. Any single thing, work from home during COVID. Of course that worked. Of course that worked as well as it did for as long as it went because it only went as long as it did. I think I said a logic loop there, but it didn't. It, it didn't last long term for a lot of companies, even the Googles and Facebooks of the world calling their employees back because long run, people will get lazier. <laughs> I don't know how to say that nicer. It'll just happen. People will slack off more and more. People will realize they're not being monitored as much. More people will tie their uh, work mouse to their dog or cat like they did and talked about online and let it run around the house. And if the work monitors the amount of mouse activity you have, boom, you're crushing it. That's the kind of thing more and more people will do. 
Uh, one last one. I know we got to take a break in just a second. This last one, though, I like it a lot. I saw a story uh, talking about pets for a second. The amount of photos you will take of your pet this year for a lot of young people, I believe this definitely is not true for people past a certain age, but uh, younger people, absolutely. 400 is the amount of photos you will take of your pet. That's not the amount you'll pop up on social media because the world would be horrible if we had that many photos from everybody. I like pets. I love my dog. I have a brand new puppy. Talked about her on the show before, uh, but I could not handle 400 uh, pet photos from as many people as would have them. And we're going to, like everybody is going to do that according to this study. And then a whole lot of people just leave all those photos on the phone, which does make you look kind of crazy if you say, oh, I got a photo to show of something to a friend of yours. And then you got to scroll through like 15 photos of pets and things that probably look like you took the same photo over and over again. And your friend tells you they're not judging you. They say, oh, no, I do that too. They're judging. That's the thing. It's definitely happening. A quick break, a lot more. Greg Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Let's talk about CNN for a second. How does that sound? I hope everybody's uh, thrilled to have that conversation. At one point, I don't know if you will remember this, uh, but depending on how old you are, there's a certain point where you probably remember a CNN that seemed somewhat more in the middle. To be honest, a lot of news media seems somewhat more in the middle than they are today. Uh, according to an Associated Press story, uh, CNN is trying very hard to be less, quote, radioactive to conservatives. Uh, what I think is very interesting about that is they even quote some former CNN uh, journalists, if that's what we call them, uh, former anchors, uh, saying a variety of things in reaction to the attempt by the new bosses at CNN to find a path toward being, say, slightly less on one side of the aisle. Uh, one of those former uh, employees said that if you look back at some of our reporting during the Trump presidency, it was, quote, hilarious. It was, quote, um, hysterical, I think is actually the word that was used. Uh, what's interesting about that is whether or not they think it's hysterical, meaning uh, that Trump did horrible, terrible things and they had to talk about it all the time and it wasn't really their fault, or if they mean the opposite, that more often than not, they went with the leading, crazy, insane version of a story and then it didn't actually pan out. Uh, my favorite example is Russia. Anyone that you're having a conversation about the FBI stuff right now, and we'll get into the affidavit. I promise we're going to talk about that in a second too. Uh, but anyone you're having a conversation about whether or not it is something that could be political, if they could politically investigate Trump, could they possibly do that? Even the FBI, just look back at all the other stuff uh, that occurred. And then every time news media, by the way, uh, mainstream media, dove all over the idea that look at this, look at this, Trump is going down. 
It's the end. Everything is over. Uh, we caught him. We got him. He's the worst guy ever. It's time for him to finally face all of the different versions of what we've been telling you for a while are the the um, ramifications of all the things he's been. And then it, it never happened. Uh, time and again, it actually uh, didn't occur. But it, let's get to the FBI, uh, FBI as far as Mar-a-Lago goes, as far as the affidavit goes. Uh, one of my favorite quotes I heard over the weekend uh, was someone saying that even if there is an indictment, which is something that I think is still out there potentially to happen, but even if that occurs, uh, you could actually get uh, the legal system to indict a tomato, is someone, what someone said. That's a long, long-standing kind of belief, is that, yes, all of these processes so far, all of the things that have happened, actually have a much lower barrier than we think they do in everyday world. There are a lot of uh, moves so far that are not as shocking as, say, uh, mainstream media, again, would have you believe. The only reason that a lot of it is shocking to, say, everyday people is because it's a former president. That's the most significant part and the part that I think is often uh, forgotten by those that say, oh, look, there was a search warrant. Oh, look, if we see in the affidavit, they claim that there was a bunch of stuff that was coming from the search warrant. Uh, by the way, releasing something that is mostly black lines, that you get the beginning parts, you get all the accusations, you get none of the proof. There's, there's none. There's not a semblance that any of the things that they believed they were going to find uh, would be there uh, because they said they were going to be there because. And I think that's what American people wanted. We wanted the because. We wanted to know why. Uh, they thought it was probably the other big thing. And this is something that I saw, I think even The Hill uh, admitted to this, which I was pretty shocked about, but also kind of enjoyed uh, reading, is that the amount of information, all the stuff that we have now, if we're sitting on the pile of facts today, as far as everyday Americans pop uh, can be, if you've dove as deep as you possibly can go and tried to get as much information as humanly possible on this, uh, what you're going to see essentially is something that is unfair, uh, something that could have easily happened to Hillary Clinton and didn't and happened to former President Trump, and we don't know why it did. And then you do see that uh, the Trump team was working very willingly, maybe not as willingly as the FBI wanted, uh, but communicating, corresponding, giving uh, documents back in a way that made it seem as though this step was unnecessary, that there were other steps, there were other ways to, to do certain things. Uh, rather than just go ahead and raid Mar-a-Lago, uh, you could have chosen to subpoena uh, more information. You could do a lot of different things, as I've uh, seen time and again now, uh, things you did for Hillary Clinton, things you chose not to do for Donald Trump. It's very easy. And so then you get to the viral audio from Lindsey Graham uh, that's out there, and it's honestly just him repeating something uh, that others are saying, uh, that if you uh, go ahead and try to imprison former President Trump, uh, and I mean, honestly, that's not at all what's going to occur, but if you actually bring charges, if you indict him, and again, remember, as I said a second ago, uh, you can get the legal system to indict a tomato. Uh, if you can go that process, uh, you're likely to see riots. You're likely to see a reaction by the American people. Uh, to that sort of decision-making, to that uh, inevitable uh, involvement. Because here's what's hilarious about all of it to me. The FBI has said they don't want to be a political organization publicly. Obviously, privately, a lot of people don't believe that to be true. Uh, but the reason maybe that they handled things uh, during the Clinton emails uh, a certain way, and then they handled things like the Hunter Biden laptop uh, a certain way, uh, is them saying to us, well, we, we think we got political, we don't want to be trying to uh, bring charges as significant as the ones laid out and potentially uh, ridiculously unnecessary 
uh, against that. I'm not trying to be a Trump guy, by the way. I want to make sure that people out there listening to this understand uh, that I'm not trying to just any situation, no matter what it is, be like, Trump, not guilty. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say he's not guilty. But if you look at the unfairness of the system, the rules applied unequally here, uh, one of two things should happen. If you want to go ahead and bring charges against Trump, you probably should have brought charges against Hillary Clinton. The same process should be gone through uh, that is not going through now. Uh, but even more than that, if you had someone that was a willing contributor, someone working with you, you take other less drastic steps than raiding uh, a home. And all of this is because, and I, I'm getting repetitive, we'll move on in a second, uh, but all of this is simply because he's likely to run again. And so if the FBI brings charges against a current politician uh, who is likely to run for a significant political office uh, and be a fairly po a probable, I should say, a candidate, even some of the, the most recent data, uh, this is something that makes me smile in a unique way. Um, if you believe that all this stuff is political, I don't know for sure. I want to put that out there too. But if you believe that everything is, uh, then you wonder why the FBI's decision is going to backfire so substantially and they wouldn't know it. Uh, there were a lot of polls saying that people like Ron DeSantis were, were up and coming. They were people who were likely to be uh, candidates that um, could surpass uh, Trump for Republican voters and wind up being presidential candidates. All the data now says the opposite. Everything you look at now indicates solely that it is tremendously likely uh, for Republicans to vote for Trump partially because of how unfair the system is to Trump and how human that is. How It's, it's crazy how the attacks, the, the most extreme moves, and whether they're, they're um, valid or not, because there's still all that proof that's missing, by the way. I should say that for just a second, too. There might be, inevitably, some amount of additional things that get made public sometime down the road that might make you think differently. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm holding my breath for it, but it is interesting. Uh, but as you say all that, you wonder why uh, an attempt to have a political agenda one way actually might cause the opposite. But anyway, I want to move on. Uh, one other thing I thought was interesting that happened uh, over the last few days, I'm sure you're familiar with it, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, said that he uh, was told by the FBI essentially to suppress the Hunter Biden story. Uh, the FBI has resp responded by saying we would never do that. Uh, there's no reason why uh, we would think that Zuckerberg would think that. Uh, I think it's very interesting, and I think the statement actually came out uh, last Friday night, uh, that they would not uh, suppress or communicate with platforms the types of information uh, that Mark Zuckerberg claimed they were uh, communicating with him. The FBI routinely notifies U.S. private sector entities including social media providers of potential threat information so that they can decide how to better defend against threats is what the agency said. Uh, but as I stated, they wouldn't go as far as to say, suppress this, suppress this, suppress this. Uh, but that's the way Zuckerberg said it. He popped up on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, and just actually quickly, one thing, and then I know we got to take a break in just a second, but I think this is tremendously interesting too. Joe Rogan, podcaster, derided by many, uh, not actually as politically one-sided as some believe. He said a lot of stuff on both sides of the political aisle. But having Zuckerberg on and getting him to say what Zuckerberg said is at the forefront of what broadcasting is supposed to be, of what media is supposed to be. So really just a kudos to Rogan uh, for having that conversation the way it was had, as beneficially as it was had, to get that information out there into the world and then to have the FBI have to react to it the way they did. Uh, and honestly, I just saw the Aaron Rodgers podcast uh, pop up too. And I guess they had a lot of conversations. We'll probably get to it a little bit on later on in the show uh, about COVID, about their decision-making in the world of coronavirus. 
And, oh, actually, you know what? I also have a story. Uh, this is about traveling and actually going to an event that still required a mask, uh, which I know is surprising. A lot of places don't anymore. But I have to tell you, and I'll take a break, and I'll do it after the break, the weird thing that happened at the mask-required event, the mask-requiring event, uh, that coming up next, Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. No snowflake zone. Uninformed opinions are in danger of melting. The Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about. Apparently, there's a class action lawsuit against uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, because their uh, Rita drinks, uh, the ones that actually, I guess, are come they come in all different kinds of flavors. Uh, they have no tequila in them. If you were tricked, you might receive a partial refund. Uh, apparently, someone decided to sue the company uh, because Lime Arita specifically, uh, which has been selling for over 10 years, is something that a person tried and was like, wait a minute, is there tequila in this? Darn it, there's not. I'm going, I'm going to lawyer up. Uh, this makes no sense, some of this stuff to me. Uh, if you're someone that thinks you were you were tricked uh, by Lime Arita and any of the other drinks that might not have a tequila in it, uh, again, I don't know why that's something that would shock you. Uh, Rita'sSettlement.com is a website you can go to to see if you can get a partial refund. I think you might have to prove that you bought it. Uh, so I don't think you can just go in and be like, no, it's totally, it's a thing. I definitely did that. Uh, here's what I love about that story, uh, just real quick, and then we'll move on to other stuff. So much of, uh, I think, what we do in the world of, of legal things is just decision-making that gets weird sometimes, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is essentially... Someone actually decided to sue Anheuser-Busch uh, because of their Limerita drink that you probably as a human being shouldn't have thought very strongly whether or not there's definitely real tequila. Like that shouldn't have mattered. If you're someone who's picking that drink up in a store and drinking it and it has alcohol in it, you shouldn't have cared exactly what that alcohol is and felt duped, tricked, uh, you know, by that sort of decision. Uh, and honestly, I feel like there's a lot of the stories that we talk about right now popping out of this story, uh, things like going to college. Uh, signing up on all the signing all the documents that say I'm going to pay a bunch of money back. I don't care what my degree is. I don't care if people are telling me uh, that degree is not going to make me a bunch of money. None of that matters. And then when actually you don't make the money uh, that you think you're going to make when you don't succeed to the degree you thought, you blame somebody else. And then also, of course, when I talk about this story, I think about uh, raiding Mar-a-Lago and letting Hillary Clinton off scot-free. Those are other things that come up. All right, another story I thought was pretty interesting I can't get over this one. I don't know why I liked it so much, but I definitely did. Uh, firefighters in the UK had to go to a guy's house and save him from his couch. He got stuck in his couch. But here's the thing. He actually just got his hand stuck in the back of the sofa. Uh, he wasn't totally, I think, honest or actually willing to give a full uh, description of how things went the way they did, what he was looking for, how it all occurred. But that's got to be something you never get over. Uh, because honestly, as I read that story... And laughed a lot about it. I thought of the way that everybody reacts. Firefighters with the siren blailing, uh, uh, wailing. They go to somebody's house. Uh, they go into the door. Maybe they even have to bust the door in if it's locked. <laughs> and they go in and, and all the neighbors would come outside and look and be like, man, what's going on? What happened to Frank? And then eventually they come back out and Frank seems fine. <laughs> and you ask him maybe after the firefighters leave, what happened? Was there a fire? Nah, man, I got stuck in my couch. Nah, I, got, I couldn't get out 
of the situation I was in, and it was pretty rough for me. Uh, that, to me, is hilarious. And that you never live that down. I think you definitely move. You change your name. You do all the stuff you need to do to move on from that life because it's not going to get better for you uh, from that moment on. All right, just other stuff in the news. Should you turn your air conditioner off when you're not at home? That's a debate that happens a lot uh, for some reason in the world of just uh, uh, media, I guess, more than anything else. I think maybe Fox reported on this, but I've seen it all over the place. And actually, you know what, real quick, before I even give you the answer to that, and you probably already know it, you've probably seen this a thousand times, I wonder how this story comes up each year in newsrooms. I wonder if somebody somewhere, and this is like local news, goes, hey, have we done that air conditioner story this year yet? Have we rolled out the oldie but the goodie that is that thing? No, we haven't. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, a team of researchers used energy models that simulate heat transfer and AC system power and performance to tackle the question finally and definitively. They found that it depends. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that. They, they, you know, they tackled it. They're like, we will know 100% with all certainty because we're throwing no caution to the wind, man. We're doing the fast and furious budget uh, of, for this study, and we're making sure that we give you an answer as to whether or not you should turn your air conditioner off. End result, eh, we don't know. Uh, maybe. The type of cooling system you have in your home actually significantly impacts whether or not you save any money ramping your system back up uh, when you leave. Although, I'll, I'll tell you this, just real quick. This is a, a story just for me. And then, actually, I got I to gotta tell you the story about the odd experience I had being asked to wear a mask again at an event and then what the strange thing that happened after that. Uh, but just real quickly, in the world of the heat thing, uh, my wife likes to save money. She convinces me sometimes it's smart. And so if you turn off the AC for the day and you don't really have a backup plan, you don't have like a, a high bar to where you set it in your home, you come back to a blazing inferno of a home. <laughs> and there is something about sitting in your house with it like at 85, 90, 95 degrees, waiting for the house to cool back down that tells you you should never do that again. So human experience tells me I should never do it again. Uh, now on to the story. I was at an event, um, a family event, a friend of the family. I got married and the, the wedding was actually very nice. The reception was a little strange though because we walked into essentially a, a conference center and at the front of the conference center, the woman uh, standing at the door said you had to put a mask on to walk into the building. Nobody else was in the building, completely empty for just this one event on a weekend, but she said you got a mask up. She didn't have any masks to provide, by the way, so a lot of people were running out and purchasing them because they didn't have one on or maybe they didn't read the invitation right. I don't know if it was even on there. I got to be honest, but they just didn't do it. So eventually we all put our masks on. We get through the entrance point from the first woman. At the second door where you actually enter into the reception, there's two boxes of masks sitting there for some reason, not with the first lady, but sitting at the second location. And then as soon as you walk through the door, I guess all of a sudden masks no longer necessary. So it was just the journey from point A to point B to get into the reception itself that required a mask. Once you were in the reception, again, coronavirus, I guess, went to sleep for those who thought that it was necessary. But the masks were also in the wrong spot of point A to point B. It was hilarious. Most of the people I talked to uh, that day could not figure out why we had masks on at all, why that's something that anyone thought made sense or was a good idea uh, for any reason whatsoever. It was just the, the uh, perfect version of what I guess happens very rarely now in our society because of how ridiculous it was. And the idea of any of that stuff ever coming back, and obviously I don't think it will, uh, even more entertaining after that experience. All right, a quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. 
is The Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Uh, I don't know if you've talked at all or, or think a lot about the Nancy Pelosi decision and then other politicians' decision uh, to go stand against China in Taiwan. I know on the surface it's a very good thing, and I've said that before, and I'm proud of those who would choose to make a decision like that, even if they're on the side of the aisle that I'm against. Uh, so it's it's completely fine to go stand against China, uh, to go demonstrate the power and authority that exists within our country. It is odd or just bad politics again, as many things are uh, in this administration, for Biden to not be the one to do that, to allow others within his party to be the ones that step up and act a certain way, a way that he should have acted, a way that would have gotten him a lot more sp- support and praise, excuse me, across the aisle, especially when you then intend to do something like student loan debt forgiveness that goes as far as it can the other way. Uh, but the reason I bring this up, the reason I want to talk about this for a second, is I'm so intrigued uh, and also at times angry about what's going on in the world of Russia and Ukraine, uh, Russia, and then some of what's happening uh, with Europe, uh, because it, it's so, I think, uh, demonstrative of what eventually will and could occur in the world of China and Taiwan And China will use the excuse that it's the United States' fault. They will say that it's America's fault. And, of course, a lot of the people in this country won't believe it. Uh, But we are having a secondary, I think, conflict here in society, in the world, about whether or not the world believes a certain narrative one way or another. And I, at times, wonder if some of those politicians, the Pelosi's of the world, really contemplate very well how significant of an impact they have or how significant uh, that potential... um, version that narrative becomes from other countries in the world. Now, case in point is this. So Russia is flaring $10 million worth of natural gas per day rather than send it to Germany. Uh, Germany, of course, is very upset about it. Germany still buying uh, Russian gas, fairly dependent on Russian uh, natural gas, while saying that they're not saying that they'll stand against, that they'll they'll weed down the amount or or wane, uh, reduce the amount, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, that they intend to purchase from that country. In so many places in our society right now, uh, you know what? I've been traveling a, a little bit recently, and some of the places I've been, some of the other countries in the world, I've noticed something, and I don't know if anyone else has picked this up, and I'm definitely kidding as I say that. I don't see a whole bunch of electric cars in a lot of other countries, certainly in, in countries that you travel in uh, kind of close to ours. Uh, you don't see electric cars just filling the streets in every single country in the world, and you wonder, again, how that version of solutions that happen just uh, between the, uh, the borders of our country, uh, just between the shores of our country, and whether or not those solutions have any impact whatsoever. I've talked about it before, and I guess it bears mentioning real quick, and then we'll move on to some other things. Uh, but I saw a story about how uh, parts of the rainforest are likely to be drilled for natural gas, for oil, uh, in the um, somewhat uh, not-so-far-away future. And the reason why is the countries who own those locations, uh, those important to every single scientist who's telling you you got to buy a Tesla right now uh, individual. Uh, The thing that's so interesting about it to me 
is that those countries are like, yeah, we didn't agree to this. We, we didn't say okay to this. The, the price of oil is skyrocketing. Uh, we can make money and our country needs money now. So we're going to go ahead and choose to make that decision. It's, it's tremendously interesting to me, again, that these are not something that I think the forethought that our country would have or that the leaders who are pushing for these kind of things would have to be like, wait a minute, what happens now? Uh, what, what do we do if that occurs? If the other places in the world, when they realize the value of things that we try to cut back on in our country go up uh, because of how significant of a provider we are of those things, uh, places like, again, Germany struggle because Russia is just trying, deciding to flare off a natural gas. What happens then? Well, other countries step up, fill the void, take the paycheck, uh, get some money, uh, much needed money of their own. And then we have other problems. And I, I honestly think that sometimes it's like we're playing a game of dominoes and a lot of the politicians barely think past toppling the first domino. And that's part of the problem. All right. I saw this. I thought this was interesting. Uh, a new survey says that something like 50% of Republicans fear the House will gain, uh, uh, could gain just single digit seats, uh, that it wouldn't be anywhere near as significant, any big of a red wave as people were expecting it to be. And the reason why, according to some of the studies out there, is some of the bigger arguments that are happening right now. And here's one that I just, I want to throw out there again. And I know it's, I'm not going to put the full whole tinfoil hat conspiracy theory uh, thing on, but I can't help it. I feel like today there's only a few giant conversations that dominate so much of the way uh, or the things that we're talking about. I, I have talked to a few different legal experts that believe that the student loan debt forgiveness will fail in court that someone will challenge it valuably, that the challenge will be held up, and it could even go all the way to the Supreme Court. I saw those jokes on social media uh, saying how uh, a Supreme Court built by Trump obviously would favor one thing and not another. I don't know if that's true or not. I just think it's interesting. And so how valuable would it be to give a whole bunch of likely Democratic voters? I think uh, Nate Silver is out there actually just showing the data on this, showing the, the likelihood of someone being a Democrat who recently got student loan debt forgiveness, and it's insanely high. It's, it's actually the easiest one-sided type of thing to do as far as any sort of political agenda, political policy that only impacts one uh, voting block, uh, but it's not obvious that it does. It's buying votes. Everyone thinks that. A lot of people say it. A lot of people believe that this is vote buy buying at its absolute finest. What I think is so interesting about this, other than the effectiveness of it, other than the fact that so many, again, are doing a thing a certain way, is that what if it does fail in court? What if those voters, those young people who don't actually show up at midterm elections are told that they get something that the politicians know they're not going to give them, then the politicians or, or know that they can't give them, know that they'll fail to give them, then the politicians go ahead and campaign on the did you like when you thought you had ten dollars to $20,000 in student loan debt forgiveness? Well, vote for me, and you're going to get way more than that. I think that that is going to be a powerful uh, call to action, although it might be, again, on both sides. It might cause a lot of Republicans to be like, wait a minute, we defended this once. Let's stop it again. Let's vote our side in. Uh, but that essentially is why a lot of the data is saying uh, that more and more people, more and more conservatives are worried that there's not going to be the significant change in political power that they thought there would be. Uh, which to me is amazing because of how terrible everything has been under Biden. How if you just go try to buy something at the grocery store right now, it's still tremendously more expensive uh, than it should be. And those challenges are ones that easily fall at the uh, feet of just one individual. Uh, even if you say that they shouldn't, they easily do. 
And the decision-making right now is to just make things worse. All right, I want to move on to this. Uh, it's just another quick thing I wanted to uh, talk about a few times today. We're having a bit of a technical issue, so we'll get to this audio hopefully uh, in just a little bit. Uh, but this is uh, Trump. Um, well, actually, this is Lindsey Graham uh, talking about uh, President Trump and talking about whether or not he thinks that there could be, say, riot in the streets if Trump is indicted uh, for the raid in Mar-a-Lago. Now, granted, everything we've seen so far, every step in this process, uh, leads you to believe that they'd have to indict the former president, uh, something that would be insane in and of itself, uh, something that um, I, I don't even know. Um, to, to be honest with you, when I think about that story and the amount of steps that it goes, and Lindsey Graham saying that there will be rioting, there will be violence, there will be a lot of chaos, and I'm not trying to fearmonger. I'm not trying to throw that out there in a way to, to get you to be afraid of. I actually agree. I think that there is a strong possibility that that is something that absolutely could happen, uh, that he will be indicted, and that essentially the FBI, an organization that says it doesn't want to take a political stance, it doesn't want to outcome political, uh, you know, presidential candidates and whatnot, uh, doesn't want to uh, in, impact elections, uh, will absolutely do that. Uh, by trying someone that is likely to run for a political office, fairly significant one in the presidency, uh, likely to run for that and trying to uh, to uh, essentially uh, hold this person accountable for crimes uh, like espionage. Uh, it's it's just, it's surreal to me. And so we're at that point right now uh, where when you hear that uh, audio said, when you hear that statement out there, uh, it's not the kind of thing that felt like political rhetoric years ago whenever it was used in other ways. It sounds like a very likely outcome of something that seems to be barreling a certain direction. All right, quick break. A lot, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. No need to socially distance while listening to your Chad Benson Show podcast. Four out of five experts say so. I'm a scientist. There is no corona. But hurry before they change their mind. You know they will. Chad's podcast found on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite COVID-free podcasts. Oh my gosh. <gasps> I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. This is the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be with you. Chad is back next week. Uh, let's uh, go to this. Uh, our president doesn't seem to know how to pronounce words. Uh, this is not new. Uh, you hear it a lot. Uh, often he is, uh, I think, excused by those who voted for him because they're like, well, he's got the lisp thing. You know, it's not it's not his fault. He's He struggles with the thing. Uh, there are some words, though, and I love that this is out there as viral audio that he uses wrong over and over and over again. And we all know people like that. You know that friend you have in your life who maybe says this one word the funny way. What I think is is great about this is no one seems to have corrected our president uh, this far down. So we have exponentially, apparently is the word that Biden keeps using. Exponentially. 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 I feel like if I just keep going, it's something that's going to 
I'm enjoying it. I have a great time. I can't believe that no one is correcting the the use though. The move, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to leave it out there. I'm going to let it be a thing. Maybe I'll say it in my own life now. I'll start exponentially uh, throwing around different uh, things that I think are going to just skyrocket uh, in value and see exactly how many people. I, I wonder, actually, that might be a test. Here, new idea. I've just developed it on the air. I'm thrilled to bounce around on the topic. Use the word that Biden is using wrong and see how long it takes your friends, your colleagues, people you work with to correct your use of a word, to mispronounce something and have them go, you know, you're saying that wrong. I just see how long it takes because however long it is, I imagine it's going to be shorter than the amount of time it's been before anyone's corrected this president. Democrats want this man to fail. Uh, there's no other way to say it, which is odd, of course, uh, but darn it, uh, it's just the world we live in now. I mean, it's just getting exponentially worse all the time. <laughs> Can't help it. Oh, it's so fun. All right. I saw this study. This is out of Germany. Uh, a brand new study demonstrates that apparently the first sip of alcohol, the first time that you uh, taste the sweet, sweet nectar that is alcohol, uh, your brain has changed, uh, quote, forever. And actually, you are more likely to have things like addiction. Uh, you know what's crazy about that, by the way? That sentence I just spoke and the fact that this study is out there saying what it is is essentially it proved that if you don't ever try alcohol, you have no chance of getting addicted to it. Uh, duh. And if you do try alcohol, your chances of getting addicted go up pretty significantly. Again, obviously, yes, because you had it. Uh, there's, there's no case I've ever met anyone in our society that's, oh, man, I'm addicted to that thing I've never tried. So that's, that's crazy in and of itself. And I, I will say drink responsibly. I don't think addiction is, is humorous. I just think it's crazy the way this study lays out. But what I thought was also a valuable is that it, thro it throws your, um, your brain out of whack, essentially. Uh, the first time your brain uh, deals with alcohol, it doesn't really know what to think. But a byproduct of not knowing what to think, apparently, is that it eventually likes it. And it thinks, hey, maybe we should try this again. I found that tremendously, tremendously interesting. I wonder what you think of that story. All right, I want to move on to this. Uh, Miss England had a, a competition over the weekend, I guess. Uh, not something I typically follow, uh, but it's all over social media. Uh, a lot of people are talking about how uh, it was the first time in 94 years that this event happened without makeup, that people had to be attractive without having caked on makeup, uh, and then someone eventually won. Uh, they are praising the competition as well, by the way, uh, for being more realistic. Uh, and of course, that's very woke culture, as you hear all the time. Uh, but I will say this, because I was kind of perusing through all the photos of the individuals who competed, and they're all wildly attractive human beings. Uh, they are definitely attractive even without makeup on. So I wonder what actually is learned uh, by this, that incredibly attractive people still look incredibly attractive without their makeup on. But also, yay, also we did the thing. And we it's good that we, I don't know. All right, I want to move on to this story. Uh, just a lot of stuff out there uh, that I saw and I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, should you update your online LinkedIn or social media profiles? Uh, should you start thinking about maybe uh, refreshing the resume? The reason this question is getting asked right now, I guess, is that a lot of people are fearful as the economy turns uh, a certain direction. People are fearful that uh, you could get laid off. Now, one of the more interesting things about this question is whether or not you should update your social media profile, specifically LinkedIn, as it says here, um, because... Would your boss see that? Would your boss be like, hey, what, what's happening right now? Uh, you know what's interesting about this story? I, I had a, a nice, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a coffee lunch uh, with one of the people that I work with, uh, a pretty, I think, important person. 
uh, in the workplace. And this question just sort of casually came up. If I'm like uh, looking other places, if I'm seeing what else is out there, and I, I thought to myself, this seems like an outside of the box question for a guy that has a little bit of power at the company I work at, and certainly not maybe a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, let's just say that the closeness isn't there to have that conversation. And so, of course, I told him no, and the answer is no. I'm very happy with what I do, odd to say that to you guys here, uh, not going after any other gigs. Uh, but it's just so interesting because I feel like maybe employers, just like employees, are are hanging on that same moment. So I guess, the again, to answer the question that I took a little bit of time bouncing around, should you update the LinkedIn profile, would a boss consider uh, that to be a sign you're potentially looking for another job? Uh, yes and yes. You can update the LinkedIn profile according to the experts. Uh, your boss may think that you're looking other places, though, if right now, as things uh, certainly are on a, a place that doesn't seem all that secure for a lot of people, uh, but if right now, well, that's going, you go ahead and update that information? Yeah, of course. Any boss worth their salt at all is going to tell you, yeah, I, I think that maybe this guy's looking around. All right, one other quick topic, uh, and then we got to take a break. I saw this story, and I didn't know how to, how to react to it, so maybe it's good to just say it right before we're done. I guess a, a couple met uh, via a dating app. Uh, they live 7,000 miles apart. They met, uh, they flew to, to meet each other, and then some things happened, and now they, well, you know what? I'll talk about that after the break because it's a little more intriguing than I'm going to let it be here. A quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. Uh, this is Craig Collins filling in. Uh, Chad is back on Monday. Uh, real quick, I, I uh, mentioned this just before the last break, and I didn't want to pay it off. I couldn't handle this story. This isn't in the world of politics, but I just want to put it out there. Uh, so a woman uh, met a guy on a dating app uh, and actually flew 7,000 miles to meet this guy. I guess during their time together, some things happened that you might assume would happen if one person boards a flight 7,000 miles away to meet the other person. And then they went they went their separate ways, uh, which to me, again, also somewhat surreal. Uh, they now have a child together. Uh, and I wonder how exactly that conversation goes when you reach out to the person. I think they actually might be dating again. And I think the internet's quite happy about them, uh, quite proud of them. But I just find that so interesting and couldn't help but mention it here, how interesting I thought it was. Uh, because again, that's pretty significant. That's fairly odd uh, to think that you would take all the steps you take that it may or may not have worked out depending on your definition of what working out is. And then all of a sudden uh, you have a child and you're going to go ahead. I wonder even how you say that to the kid. If you have that conversation at some point in the future, like, yeah, mommy and daddy met on a dating app. Mommy boarded a plane, flew 7,000 miles to hang out with pop. And then, well, uh, one day you were born and uh, we figured out the rest from there. Uh, a couple other quick things I think are of note, of value, just moving on to actual news and not stumbling over that anymore. 
Um, Illinois is going to be offering permanent voting by mail for everybody, uh, obviously. This is something that uh, some uh, things went out. I actually uh, am from that area, so I certainly know a lot of people. Not init initially from that area, but from that area now. Uh, so I know a lot of people who've gotten these in the mail already. And it essentially is just a sign up saying, yes, I want to vote by mail uh, for the rest of my ability to vote anywhere in the state. Uh, it is so intriguing to think about all the different conversations we've had in the world of, and I know a lot of people just dismiss it outright, voter fraud. And I don't think that, by the way, I'll just put this out there, uh, that our presidential election was won by voter fraud. I don't think that. I'll continue to say it. I'll get some messages every time I put that out there on the air. Uh, but I digress. I do think some of these decisions, some of these uh, moves to make things more uh, secure make sense. They just simply make sense. And certainly opening the floodgates uh, and then also promoting it. Because the other thing that's intriguing about this, and I think this might be true of a lot of people who don't live in states where uh, mail-in voting is fairly common. If you're in a state where this is, is common already, you're like, yeah, okay, we've had this for a while. Uh, but if you ask someone from a different place, did you know that people vote by mail all the time in, say, Arizona, wherever it might be? The answer is typically no. I didn't, I didn't really think about that. When you promote this, when you turn this into a political position uh, that we take, I think what becomes more interesting in that moment is the potential for misuse for fraud uh, to be a byproduct of promoting so heavily uh, that you're doing something for a political win. So Pritzker, uh, the governor in Illinois, uh, seems to be very proud of the fact that he might have put a huge target on the back of his state to try to find ways to potentially be, uh, I think, uh, more, um, uh, uh, more tempting for anyone that wants to, to commit fraud. Now, I want to uh, uh, take something else. I want to talk about something else. The White House has backtracked on Biden's description of MAGA, Republica of MAGA Republicans as semi-fascists. Uh, what I think is so interesting about that, what I think is so interesting about the idea of all of this um, is not necessarily that Biden said it, but the way in which the, the uh, fallout has been since. Even on uh, regular news stations, the television stations that would say be pro-Biden more often than not, although there's few and far between that seem to be truly pro-Biden uh, right now, uh, there's a lot of questions, a lot of wondering if the uh, speech uh, during his inauguration meant anything to a president who's now willing to cast an entire half of the voting uh, population as being semi-fascist, uh, which is surreal in and of itself. But there's also the idea that the White House has already walked this statement back, something they do quite often uh, with this president, and sometimes uh, much to the uh, chagrin, much to the anger of the current president. Uh, but it's just, it's so, I think, valuable uh, to realize just how divided I guess, and I know that this is the silly take, this is the the boring take and all this, how divided society is, but how unwilling society is at times, or at least maybe some of these Democratic politicians are, to admit it all the time. Uh, when you call someone a semi-fascist, when you go that road, uh, you demonstrate what you actually believe to be true. Uh, you certainly demonstrate the way in which you've probably been operating, the way in which politics uh, certainly impact, uh, I think, a lot of our everyday lives. And then when you go back the other time and you say the other thing and you try to act differently about it, uh, you just, I, I don't know, I guess more and more people in our society, I believe, are starting to realize that a lot of, a lot of what's said, a lot of what is done out there in our society uh, is, is just uh, crap. It's just something that certainly with the politicians, uh, I mean, more often than everyday people, 
uh, the way that they handle themselves, more and more everyday Americans are waking up to just how much everything is a performance, uh, at least in my opinion. All right, I want to play some audio, uh, some audio that I know that our producer has. Uh, the first piece is actually about Elizabeth, is from Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she is talking about student loan debt forgiveness. She's answering a question about how unfair she thinks it is. She makes two completely uh, useless points. The first one is she starts talking long about herself. And then also she tells us how, you know, when she went to school back in the day, college was way less expensive. So that's unfair to the people who signed the loans. Here's Elizabeth Warren. You know, I think a lot about fairness. And I think about how education debt is different from other debt. I look at it this way. I wanted to be a public school teacher <laughs> from the time I was in second grade. Uh -huh. My dad yeah, did. ended up as a janitor, and there was no money for me to go to college. But I found a public university that cost $50 a semester. And for a price I could pay for on a part-time waitressing job, I finished a four-year diploma. I became a special education teacher. Okay, okay, okay. This needs to stop. I just, I'm done with this already. Here's the two problems with this statement, and it's something that I've said before in the show, and I'll say it again. Uh, there are ways to pay for uh, education through work, like what um, uh, Elizabeth Warren is describing. Now, you don't go to the state school you don't go to the university that maybe you always wanted to go to. You just go to the community college that's sitting right there in most communities throughout our country, and you find a way to pay for that school out of your own pocket. I know friends and family members who have done this. Uh, I didn't. I went ahead and signed some loans and decided to pay them back, which is what you're supposed to do. And then I just got student loan debt forgiveness that I feel terrible about because it's unfair. But the other thing that Elizabeth Warren did is she essentially dodged the question. She just started to talk about her own life, her own experience, and how different things are, and how Elizabeth Warren today would benefit from this compared to Elizabeth Warren from years ago who paid for college on her own. I love that idea. I love that sentiment that, you know what, this is for people like me, because a lot of people are not like Elizabeth Warren. A lot of the people that are struggling, that needed help, didn't get it, and a lot of the elite people uh, people that are already on a career path that's going to lead them to places like where Warren is gone are the ones that are probably going to get this debt forgiveness now. Uh, that is just something that's uh, simply anti the message, not the actions, but the message of the Democratic Party more often than not. Uh, compared to the action, it's pretty much right on par. This is about perfect. All right, the other thing I want to play is this is a spot now running a lot of places. Uh, this is a commercial talking about Biden's bailout how bad it is. These are all actors. I will say that none of these are real people, uh, but I'm sure a lot of real people are represented within these three stories that are told. I found this spot to be expertly, expertly created, and I just had to play it. Here it is. I spend more time working on these cars than with my own family. I spend my days digging holes, cutting grass, and sweating. This is job number two today. So my customers aren't the only ones drinking coffee. I'm breaking my back out here for one reason. I want to pay off some other guy's debt. <laughs> Biden's plan to pay other people's college loans using my tax dollars is a it's great, great idea. Biden's right. You should take my tax dollars to pay off your debts. My family will figure out how to get by with we'll us. Be fine. What's most important is we spare college graduates from any extra stress. Want to be a struggling artist? College is on me. My kids don't need fancy things like school supplies or new shoes. I work for you, theater major. This shift is for you, business major. Go buy yourself that new car. Enjoy your free ride. College is on me. 
Tell Congress, stop Biden's right. bailout for rich kids. That is, that is fantastic, yes. And then they give you a whole way to contact them to, to try to stop this from happening. Something that I think actually could occur, uh, but obviously not the way so many are reacting right now. Uh, but the way essentially the conversation, I think, is authentically going, at least in the case of a lot of uh, Democrats out there, and just assuming this is a pill easily swallowed by anyone that didn't benefit from it. And actually, I know there's a lot of, of questions right now being asked on even all of those platforms that typically don't ask hard questions. Uh, we actually have a little bit more audio from that coming up after the break in a bit, uh, something that I just truly love of a way in which a politician stumbled around uh, the question of how is this un how is this not unfair? Aren't there other kinds of debt that other people are in? And then actually, and I'll play this also after the break, so just a long tease here, uh, there's a crazy take from a woman uh, on policing. And I, I need to play the audio because this happens every so often. Uh, but what's not in the audio, and what I'll explain to you now and explain again in a minute, is that she also had a crazy take about student loan debt forgiveness, as shocking as it was, and comparing it to uh, the loans that happened during the pandemic for businesses, small businesses, to help keep them afloat, to help keep them alive, and how those loans also were forgiven. So again, those businesses weren't severely impacted by the decision-making of the government to shut them down. It is insane. I will say this just right now, I guess, before the break. It is insane that people are trying to compare forgiveness in the world of benefiting businesses, especially small businesses, to stay afloat at a time when the government told them they cannot operate, they cannot make a living doing the thing that they've been doing. Essentially, a lot of uh, small business owners depending on the type of business, some of them described in that ad a second ago, who may not have gone to college, may not have created student debt for themselves. Then they were told to sit at home and not work uh, by our government. Then they got that loan forgiven that helped keep them, as I said, sur alive, surviving. Now they're being lumped in as if they're the same as someone who agreed to pay back a student loan that they knew they couldn't afford. And then when the time came to pay it, stopped paying it and said, my bad, this is on me, and then got forgiveness from our, our country. To say that both of those are the same thing when one was forced on us and the other one was not uh, is a big part of the argument and the problem. But after the break, I'll play the other audio from this woman uh, that popped up again on one of the talking head stations uh, because it's just a crazy, simple take about policing, and she's so utterly wrong. That coming up and more, Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. Chad Benson Show, where we reach across the aisle and occasionally poke someone in the eye. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about throughout the day to day. Uh, so much going on in the world. And yet sometimes I'm so tempted to just talk about other less serious, uh, not as, um, I guess, uh, politically important things. In the world, it's a Monday, too, so maybe that causes me to want to do this a little bit more often uh, than not. But uh, I saw this recently. I thought it was uh, rather interesting, just in a lot of the things that are out there in the world. Uh, and I guess, uh, just real quick again, uh, I don't know why anyone would think this is a good idea. It's my own opinion that it's definitely not a good idea. Uh, but 70% of people said they'd rather work a 10-day, 4-day work week than work the traditional 5-day, 8-hour-a-day work week. 59% said they would also like to work from home. So a 10-hour a day, four-day work week from home, that's not going to have any problem 
Uh, 69% said uh, they prefer to listen to music while they work, uh, which I love as far as answers put out there. 62% said they would rather just stay at their desk uh, most days and not go, say, have lunch out, go with coworkers, so just sit chained to the desk. And finally, 66% said they work through their lunch. Um, oh, and 69% said yes, uh, they do like to create friends or, or, or relationships at the office space uh, just to do that uh, outside time. What's so valuable about all of these answers collectively when you talk about them all together is just how interesting it is that someone says they would like to work four 10-hour day workdays from home while listening to music, uh, while working through lunch, quote-unquote, while just doing uh, certain things throughout the day. I can't imagine how much society would change if we let that be a long-haul decision. If, if a lot of people did get what they wanted here in that world and just decided, you know what, this is the way it's going to go uh, from now on, I think we obviously become far less productive. Uh, that is something that actually, you know what, it's valuable to put this out there. Um, I thought it was um, uh, interesting when some of the conversations about quiet quitting uh, were bouncing around. If you haven't heard what that is, uh, quiet quitting is something that young people are very proud of. Uh, much like the uh, 10 day or 10 hour, four day work week kind of thing. Uh, quiet quitting is where you don't quit your job. Uh, you just do as little as humanly possible and stay employed as long as possible uh, because you think something that's happening to, happening to you at that place of employment is unfair. It's not even that you like can't handle the work or don't want to do the work per se. It's supposed to be a passive aggressive way to demonstrate that the standard you have for work isn't being met by the employer you're working for uh, there was news, I think this was last week, that quiet firing is now a thing. <laughs> Surprising, shocking that those two would wind up hand in hand. I, I guess this is where the boss tries to make as little of a deal as possible out of the people that they let go, maybe even people that are working from home, who knows what it is, uh, but firing those that you notice the productivity is way, way down. Uh, I thought it was interesting because I would figure that maybe some companies would actually want to make that a very public, a very loud uh, version of a firing to demonstrate again uh, to say the rest of the staff that it's not a good idea. But what's so interesting to me about all this, the, the whole conversation there, and a lot of the stats I just threw off uh, from people asking what they prefer and don't prefer at the workplace, not going to lunch uh, with coworkers. Yes, you want to make friends and relationships, but you want to handle that outside hours is more and more people, I think younger people, uh, and I'm not trying to judge, uh, well, maybe I am. They're shying away from any sort of interacting. Uh, that's not on their own terms. They don't want to be around other people essentially at all. And our society enables that. Uh, that makes things tremendously, tremendously worse. Uh, this is my opinion. We need to not let that be a thing that continues to occur. All right. A woman was charged $8,000 after a rental company claimed she drove 22,000 miles in three days. Uh, actually, it might've been closer to 23,000 miles in three days. Uh, how much would that actually... Uh, take you to travel that distance? Well, you'd have to drive around the world, uh, essentially. Uh, assuming you could pull that off, though, in three days, uh, more power to you. The woman flew to Canada earlier this month to help her daughter uh, get settled at college. She drove around Toronto for three days, and then she returned the car. Uh, later on, she noticed that the company was like, yeah, you put, you put all the miles on the vehicle at the average speed of 315 miles per hour is what it would have taken her to actually do that. It was obviously a mistake, but she couldn't get anyone from the company that did this to reverse the charge until local news got involved. Uh, this might be the most valuable way that local news still kind of impacts our society, right? Uh, because we have those conversations about the bias that exists in media, uh, but you actually do have stories much like this one of this woman 
uh, who eventually gets her figured out problem or her, her issue solved because a local news organization put the screws to a local business uh, or maybe even a national business in a way that had value. I like this story a lot. I wish this wasn't the only way I really value news still uh, currently. Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. I feel like these next two topics being used together is somewhat uh, a valuable response to a crazy thing a person said. Uh, but first, the the sad story, the somewhat shocking story, although I guess if you've been around in Washington, D.C., uh, you know exactly how dangerous that city is, how little the politicians there are doing to clean up the rampant crime, the horrific things that are happening right now. And maybe something this high profile actually does uh, cause more response. I don't know. Uh, but a, a young running back uh, who was just recently drafted by the Washington Commanders, still a weird name to call them, the Washington Redskins, uh, that team uh, has a young player uh, that has played so well in the NFL preseason that they thought he would be a huge part of the actual regular season, uh, which is a significant thing. I think maybe running backs more often than other positions, certainly more than quarterbacks, uh, can have a huge impact uh, in their first year, uh, can actually do quite well. I think a lot of young rookie quarterbacks typically struggle some exceptions to the rule uh, that are fairly high profile, but a lot of uh, quarterbacks that don't even get a shot uh, their first year. So it was significant that this young man, his name is Brian Robinson Jr., uh, was going to be a big part of the offense and probably the number one running back for the team. Uh, he was shot multiple times. He is okay. His injuries are not believed to be life-threatening, uh, but this happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, during what was an apparent uh, attempted carjacking as well. Um, the coach is there. The team is there. They're, they're trying to throw support uh, behind this player uh, and talking about, of course, how uh, horrible uh, this story is and how um, uh, many, I think, significant things probably are going to be talked about in response to this. Uh, head coach Ron Rivera actually said that he was just with Brian in a recent statement. Uh, that Brian was in good spirits and wanted every wanted to thank everyone for their kind words, prayers, and support. He wants his teammates to know that he appreciates them for all of the reaching out and love that they were supplying to him. Just real quick, put yourself in those shoes, yourself in that life. You're a very, very good young football player. Uh, you have a great year in college. You get drafted into the NFL, and you wind up playing for a team in Washington, D.C. that you may or may not be aware of has some issues, at least the city does, with safety. And then before you even play your first regular season game, a game that I don't know when will occur now. Uh, I know he's in okay condition as far as his overall health goes. He's not believed to, to be at risk of losing his life, but what impact it'll have on his ability to play the game of football, uh, I think that's something yet to be talked about. 
Uh, but I think that that has ramifications moving forward, too. If you can't protect players in your city, if cities can't guarantee people's safety, uh, then there's certainly a lot of valuable conversations that should come out of that to find solutions to an obnoxious problem, a horrible problem, a problem that caused uh, a very good young football player to now, I assume, at least be somewhat concerned about how much of an impact getting shot is going to have on his ability to play that sport. Now let's go. Her name on social media, by the way, is Thick Church Girl. And it's spelled not the way that Thick is supposed to be spelled, but Thick Church Girl. Uh, she pops up, I think, mostly on MSNBC, as in, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a hot take human on a hot take station. Uh, but she said recently a few different things that I thought uh, had horrible uh, I guess, impact, maybe uh, not value in the way that I agree with her, but value in the way that we're definitely going to play it here. Uh, the first one was about how uh, forgiving PPE loans is the same uh, or forgiving uh, small business loans is the same as forgiving college student loans. And that is absolutely not true. And I will uh, argue with anyone that thinks that's true for several reasons. One being the government forced small businesses to close. I didn't ask them if they felt like signing uh loans for a bunch of additional money and then gave them an opportunity to not pay it back years later. Uh, but also uh, just beyond that, uh, her saying that is frustrating because it, it just misunderstands the pain of so many people that are in neither camp. People that didn't get small business loan forgiveness, didn't get anything. I, I hate that you shift the blame to another group of people you could potentially be mad at as an American and not actually talk about all the people that are still uh, screaming and yelling about being treated unfairly that are just getting ignored. And you'd think, that thick church girl would understand that more than most. But then they got into talking about policing. Remember, we just had an NFL player that had a, a likely valuable position for an upcoming rookie year get shot and attempted uh, they attempted to carjack him. Uh, but in the context of that story, let's hear thick church girl tell us that she thinks that cops aren't really necessary. This is not operating as the deterrent that uh, reformers promised it would. And I used to be one of those folks. Right. I stand firmly in the belief that we can live in a world without police and that we can be safe all on our own. Uh, we cannot. <laughs> That's my simple answer uh, to her statement. And it, it's so amazing the amount of, I don't know what it would be to say something like that, to believe something like that. Because what about when something like the Brian Robinson Jr. story happens? Uh, what do you do then if there are no police, if there's no one to call? Uh, you just accept the fact that somebody tried to carjack you? And we've seen countless examples of this, by the way. We've seen time and again uh, the proof, uh, especially out of, say, California, of where you pull back on policing or even just uh, you tell the American people that you're not going to charge them with crimes the same way you've been doing before, and then a whole lot of people commit smash-and-grab crimes or whatever it might be. So it's just surreal to think of those two things together and think of how much they connect at a time when maybe that individual, the one who pops up on television and rants crazy stuff, uh, would rather not have that second horrible story uh, currently be in the news. All right, the other thing I want to play, and this is something that I think is very interesting, when you talk about the way in which our current President Biden, someone who said in his inauguration wanted to be a uniter of political division, he wanted to be someone that reached across the aisle, that helped out at times of need, uh, someone who now obviously has done something that's politically tremendously one-sided in forgiving student loans. Uh, after he chooses to go that road, he then wants to talk about the MAGA crowd again, and he wants to call them something specific. He wants to call them semi-fascists. Uh, a lot of people are asking questions. Uh, this question was lobbed uh, to an individual on, I think, Face the Nation. 
uh, DNC chair Jamie Harrison. His answer to the question, isn't that the opposite of what he said he wanted to do, uh, was fairly interesting. Here it is. You heard the president's inaugural address the same way I did. In that inaugural address, President Biden said we should not view each other as adversaries in this country, but as neighbors, and we should treat each other with dignity and respect. How does semi-fascism, as a label for the Republican Party, fit with that inaugural address? Nice pause. Well, I like the, the pause. The one thing that President Joe Biden has been has always been consistent. <laughs> yes, he has. He's always been consistent. He's said a bunch of stuff uh, that is, I guess, inappropriate. He is not, uh, by the way. I actually do not agree with that. And can't even keep the joke going. But what I love, and as the audio continues, and we're, we're not going to play it here, I'm just going to skip it. Uh, he also talks about how he's just speaking plainly. He's just speaking matter-of-factly. He's just simply saying that that other side is so hated. And there's a lot of debate now, too, as to whether or not this is a strategy move. Uh, this is a potential shift in the way in which the president converses about the side that he opposes. I honestly think this motivates the side that you're not on uh, more than it motivates the side that you are on. Uh, when he used the other weird phrases with MAGA, I think he said ultra MAGA, something to that effect. A lot of this became merchandise. People on the side of the political aisle that didn't support the president, that didn't agree with him, just bought T-shirts. It's like, yeah, that's the thing we want. Now, of course, no one's going to be buying a semi-fascist T-shirt, but I do think that continuing to crap on those individuals, individuals who vote significantly in this country, the uh, bucket of deplorables thing actually is more harmful than good on your side of the political aisle. I don't think there are a lot of people uh, that get um, you know, up in arms and decide, yes, I'm going to vote for this man. I love this man now. After failure after failure, Afghanistan is still getting talked about, uh, something that I probably haven't talked about a lot, uh, but something that definitely deserves to continue to be a topic of conversation is the fact that there are still Americans in Afghanistan that want out. Can you, by the way, can you even fathom that? Uh, an idea in which all of that happens. You're promised by your country that you would be removed uh, from that country as we are pulling out. It doesn't happen. And now this much time later, this long after that was something that even the American people had on their daily radar, you still are struggling with the same problem. That is in and of itself one of the many catastrophic failures of this president that cannot be overlooked no matter how many mean things or crazy things he says about the other side. And for some reason, I think that, and maybe this is what it is, because I'm sure as I categorize it as mean, uh, people hear the mean tweets conversation or whatever it is uh, from the former president. I think the difference is humor. <laughs> I've got to be entirely honest. I think that when former President Trump crapped on anyone, uh, said something in a way that someone thought was completely unoffensive, a whole lot of other people thought it was, or completely offensive, excuse me, a whole lot of other people thought it was hilarious. They thought it was funny. I don't know how many people find what Biden says funny, uh, certainly not this funny. And I think that's the missing component. I'm not trying to help the other side, but if you want to go with the blazing, uh, very strong, I hate those guys, the people that vote opposite us, a uh, version of a, a strategy, uh, the way that maybe Republicans, not a lot of them, but some at times have done. And I don't even think it's hate, to be honest. It's more pity, if anything else. Uh, but I say that the thing you're most missing and the thing you definitely need to add into the equation is some jokes. You got to add the jokes. Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. Helen Keller is a Nazi terrorist that is a male. Is that what you're telling me right now? Yeah. Are you thinking of Hitler? Who's Hitler? 
vaccines work, but only the Chad Benson Show is 100% effective against stupidity. Do you know what D-Day is? D-Day. In person, a rapper? God, Karen, you are so stupid. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you find your favorite woke-free podcasts. This is the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. I, I have to talk about this again. I was talking about it a little bit earlier on in the show, but I went to an event uh, recently at the event, which was a wedding. Uh, and obviously we all uh, gathered in the church and saw a lovely uh, wedding take place. We then went to a location for reception. Uh, the location for the reception was like a big conference center, uh, but it was empty uh, for that day. And actually just one of the conference rooms was being one of the bigger you know, ballroom style areas was being used for the reception. And when we got to the front door, uh, the person that was at that door, I think the person provided by the venue itself, said that it was a, a mask on kind of place and that you had to wear your mask in order to get into the venue. Uh, then, uh, and actually, by the way, we didn't have any masks, the group I went with, so someone had to run out and buy them. The rest of us had to stand there and wait to eventually be approved to get into the door. And that took a while. Uh, then when the mask got back, we went in and we got to the next area. Uh, I guess essentially we walked through one hallway uh, to get to the second spot. And here's what I loved about the second location we were at. There were two large boxes of free masks that were being provided to anyone that made it for past the first gatekeeper, uh, someone who probably didn't know there were masks in there and someone who uh, obviously didn't care. <laughs> and then once you got through that door uh, by saying who you were and that you were there for the event, uh, you got into your table and you immediately took your mask off and no one put them back on, which I thought was hilarious. And I know we've talked about this before. I know that these kind of things happen all the time. You went to the restaurant. Why am I wearing the mask to walk my way to the table and then taking the mask off as soon as I get at the table? Uh, but with where we are in all of this pandemic stuff and the fact that this is still something that occurs and it occurs the way it did, I think no one even told the couple that got married how things were going because uh, they probably don't need to have that be a part of their stress on a day that should be pretty happy for them. But it was just wildly amusing to me. And then anytime, actually, by the way, you'd have to go to the restroom or when you eventually left the venue, you had to walk back by the first initial gatekeeper and no one was wearing masks anymore. And I only la I only laughed because the system was so flawed. I'm not trying to just uh, truly crap on this one person, but you walk right back by her and she was looking at all of us wearing her mask, very upset, very frustrated, I think, in the whole process. But what, what are you supposed to do if no one is wearing them? What are the odds of anything protecting you? I, I question, I wonder, I ask. I don't have a valuable answer to it. I just thought it was such a... a and the, uh, my favorite part was the fact that there were masks sitting there, uh, that there were masks sitting and available uh, and not being used. All right, another story I found out there, and it's actually kind of a twofer. I saw that in the next year... Uh, well, actually, during this year, I should say, as we're already most of the way through it in August. Uh, but during this year, you're likely to take 400 photos of your pet. 400 photos. No, you're not going to use all the photos. Yes, pets are sometimes, I guess, hard to take the correct photo of. So maybe that's why you snap all the additional ones. But you don't even usually delete that many, so you got a bunch of them on your phone. And then here's the other story. Here's the other poll. People have more pictures of pets than loved ones on their phone uh, according to a recent study, a recent survey, I have a brand new puppy. Uh, my puppy is about a year old now. Uh, the puppy is great. Uh, my wife and I love our dog a lot. I do have more photos of family. I do have more photos of, of uh, the human beings that I care about in my life 
I'd rather, although I do have photos of my dog. And actually, at that same uh, wedding I was at recently, uh, I, there was another couple there that said that they also had a new pet, and then they wanted us to exchange photos of the pet, which I think I think that's a little strange, you know, because that feels reminiscent. I don't have any kids. Uh, that feels similar to showing people uh, photos of your children. And unless you've done something to, like, goose the dog photo, and tell me I'm wrong. I, I love my dog. I love my puppy. I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Uh, so Facebook.com slash Chad Benson Show or Craig Collins Show. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. It's a little odd to show the photo back and forth. And I don't think I've ever looked at, like, many dogs unless, as I was saying a second ago, you goose the photo. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins. Totally. Uh, sorry about that. little technical snafu for just a second there. So we'll fix that in post-production. I apologize. I, maybe the dog people came after me. I was saying that I don't know what you're supposed to do to goose the photo of your dog uh, in order to make it an appropriate photo to exchange when you're around others uh, in your general area. And then, boom, all of a sudden, some things crashed and things went down. So my fault. I apologize for that. I think that was probably on me. Although, potentially, as I said, I think it might have been people uh, the dog people trying to come after you. All right, uh, I'll shift gears so that I don't get in any more trouble with them. One other thing I saw out there, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was kind of funny. Oscar Myers promoting a cold hot dog. I don't know if anybody saw this. Uh, it is a hot dog flavored frozen pop. It's not actually a hot dog because you probably shouldn't eat those frozen. Uh, they say that it's refreshing and it's got a, <laughs> can't help this, a smoky note to it. Um, but they are going to be selling cold dog ice pops that taste like frozen hot dogs uh the world of food got very confusing all right quick break a lot more promise for no more technical problems greg collins filling in on the chad benson show Chad Benson Show. Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. I haven't talked much today. Uh, Chad is back next week, by the way. I haven't talked much today about the heavily, heavily redacted affidavit that got released last week. Uh, because if you actually go look it up, if anyone goes and checks on it, there's a lot of full pages that are completely black lined. Pretty much all the information that the American people actually wanted to know. Not the things that he was already accused of. Uh, the things that actually are the proof are the valuable foundation for the government to believe that they should raid the home of a former president and li likely will need to indict him to make the move not seem political. I don't know how I could say that a different way. Uh, and by the way, indicting him would be a horrible decision. I do not advocate for it. I don't think it's the right call at all because I don't think right now it seems as though he did enough wrong 
uh, for any of this to have made sense. And certainly when you compare it to, I honestly, I take a second as I say this, uh, but the most valuable comparison is Hillary Clinton and the way in which that was handled and how utterly different it was. Uh, those things matter quite a bit more today than they even did the emails, emails, emails thing, uh, just because of how ridiculous it is that there's so much difference in how this approach, how these rules are applied. So much so that a uh, Southern District of Florida uh, judge, a U.S. District judge, has decided that there should be a special master review of the materials taken at Mar-a-Lago, the thing seized, uh, by a special outside master uh, individual. Uh, I don't even know exactly what that is, as I just stumbled through referring to it. Uh, this is something that President Trump and his team have asked for. This is something that the judge seems, uh, and she said, I think, over the weekend that she had preliminary intent to allow for this to occur, uh, which is a weird legalese way of talking about it. She also said that the government needs to do more to provide a, a more valuable detailed list of the items that were taken. Uh, this would happen by August 30th, so tomorrow. And then finally, a hearing would take place on Thursday uh, to deliberate these different matters. So at least one judge now is responding by some of, to some of these things by saying, yeah, uh, it seems as though more information is needed. We need a more valuable explanation for how you, uh, why you raided, excuse me, uh, the home of a former president and what you found. Now, what's interesting about this too is I did see a couple stats out there, some data uh, saying that Republicans are now, or at least the organizations behind looking at this data, uh, expecting less valuable turnover in the House than previously assumed. At one point during maybe the height of the failed Biden um, agenda piece after agenda piece, which is still a thing that I feel like Maybe a lot of Americans are just moving on from and shouldn't be, uh, but all of the different mistakes made by the Biden administration, and maybe partly because of student loan debt forgiveness, uh, but I, I doubt it. I honestly see that as a catalyst to more people uh, voting Republican, voting anti that than voting for it, but I digress. Maybe I'll be wrong uh, about that. Uh, what I think is interesting is they, they change these numbers from expecting 25 plus seats to maybe five to 10 seats. And the reason why is some of the distraction that has been raiding Mar-a-Lago. So not only has that um, decision been so far disproven from being anything other than politically valuable or motivated, uh, it is now actually also having political impact, which I find very interesting. I saw this study or this survey, too, uh, talking about the people that would most likely be supported on the Democratic side of the aisle, including the former president and running again for the office. Uh, he does not top the list. The top name on the list, once again, is Bernie Sanders for 23 potential 2024 contenders. Bernie Sanders came in as the um, most favorable person on the list. Uh, second most favorable, but also one of the least favorable uh, was the current president. Uh, I thought it was very interesting to see, though, that feeling the burn, once again, is something that young people, especially after the student loan debt forgiveness thing, uh, is a thing, I guess, maybe are are leaning that way. Uh, and I, I, again, I don't think he'll ever succeed, partially because the Democratic Party doesn't want him to succeed. They want guys like Biden to screw up in office just time and again. All right, shifting gears. I thought this was pretty interesting. Ozzy Osbourne recently made a comment that he's moving back to England because, it, because he doesn't want to die in crazy America. Uh, he referenced some uh, mass shootings that occurred in our society he talked about gun violence and how horrific it is. And of course, he has a, a political message, I think, in all of this that is sort of anti-gun. 
Now, what I thought was interesting about this when I saw the story and I dove into some of the data, some of the information about it is, and you might not know this, there's actually a Washington Post article from years ago referencing some studies into it. Uh, fewer than 1% of all people that lose their lives uh, at the other end of a firearm uh, happen in a mass shooting sense. And this is a mass shooting as defined by when four or more people uh, are injured within a, a gun violence related moment. Uh, so it's not just the ones we hear and talk about on TV. Uh, it's a lot more than that. What I think is interesting is so many people are distracted by that narrative. Ozzy Osbourne, the guy that bit a bat off, uh, the head off of a bat, is someone who's saying this and getting praised. And people are bringing up these mass shooting moments, these horrific moments in our society, and then pivoting the conversation as they're one to do, as they often do, to the world of controlling guns. Now, when you dive even deeper into the data as to whether or not legal purchased firearms or illegal firearms are used in a lot of the daily shootings that occur in our society, the ones that are not defined as a mass shooting, the answer is you find a lot more illegal weapons or a lot more weapons that might have been purchased legally but are now not owned by the person who originally bought them. What's valuable about that is essentially the gun control measures that we talk about, the ones attempting to be put in place to help in a society that wants to keep Ozzy Osbourne, for whatever reason, here in our country, uh, they're not actually going to be impacted. They're, those solutions are not actually going to have a valuable solve in our society for the problem that is. And then we talk about, and this is finally just something that I have to hit on in this conversation, the rookie running back for the Washington football team, uh, the Washington Redskins, as I still like to refer to them, uh, maybe much uh, will be said. I don't know. I don't care if anybody cares, uh, but he was shot. Uh, during an attempted carjacking and is now in the hospital. He's expected to be okay. Uh, but what is so interesting about that, uh, Brian Robinson Jr., is that those are the types of shootings that I think our society is certainly not capable right now of solving. And a lot of the reason why is political dis, um, uh, disinterest in doing that. In places like Washington, D.C., where you see uh, shootings and, and uh, murder and things on a degree that's... Chicago, Illinois, another great example... Uh, where you see on the south side of Chicago a weekend where multiple people are shot and killed. Bringing that up, you're almost accused of being like, ah, you're distracting from the problem. No, that's the real problem. According to the Washington Post, according to the data that I just uh, laid out here uh, within the conversation of Ozzy Osbourne uh, leaving ship, jumping ship to go back to uh, the UK, uh, what I think is so valuable is that if less than 1% of those who are hurt by gun violence, if that's what we want to call it, are, are killed by something that is a killed in something that is a mass shooting, then the reality is we have a problem with a lot of those other moments. And yet there is no valuable solution in the world of our politicians because they don't want to talk about that problem. They want to distract from that. They want to talk about something else and they want to offer solutions that will, will fail. Now, granted, in the UK, I should say this as just, I guess, a caveat to the entirety of this conversation. They have much stricter gun laws and they do not see the amount of gun violence that we see in our society. Instead, they see a whole lot of stabbings. I'm not kidding about that. That's not a joke. There are a lot of stabbings that occur in society in the UK uh, that cause, cause people to get up in arms and beg for a solution to that problem. Of course, you can't ban knives. Uh, but essentially, this goes back to, I guess, basically my point. That when it's not a mass event, when a lot of lives are not being taken, and remember... The data says that only about 1% of those who lose their lives to a gun in our country are doing so in the world of a mass shooting. Uh, so if we go to a, 
a one individual one day deciding they want to harm another individual. Uh, they are choosing in those other countries, those ones praised for their their gun laws, uh, they're just choosing a different weapon. Uh, I would assume that getting stabbed is not a, a fun time. I would assume that it's not something that you find anywhere near uh, better than being shot when you're the person who's the victim of it. And it's an odd way to say that, but I can't help myself in saying it because essentially the solution is a failed one. And so I wonder when we will stop talking about this, when we will stop covering Ozzy Osbourne. It's all over the news. If you just type it in Ozzy Osbourne today in your search engine of choice, I assume Google, uh, you're going to see uh, publication after publication running a story about how Ozzy doesn't want to live in our country because America is crazy. And you're going to see a lot of politicizing of that stance, even by Ozzy Osbourne. But the reality is none of those are truly solutions to the problem that is accidentally being brought up by Ozzy and demonstrated over the weekend by what happened in Washington, D.C., to a football player with a promising young career, uh, and that is the one-on-one -on -one attacks that happen in every society and certainly wouldn't go away no matter what changes we made to ours. Uh, a long point there made. I hopefully uh, made it well. A quick break, a lot more. Greg Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. Get over it. It's time to forge a new path with your very own political cartographer, Chad. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Chad, a well-deserved vacation. He will be back next week. Several things I want to talk about toward the tail end of the show here, uh, including a couple things that I say would be more adult. I will do my best to make sure they're not inappropriate, and I, I can warn you to earmuffs the children if you feel like you want to earmuffs them anyway. But I, I like talking about those to end the show. I don't know why. Maybe it's because right after that, I, I go away. And so who can get me in trouble? Well, maybe a lot of people. Before I do that, though, first I wanted to talk about this. Uh, Netflix talking about adding a commercial option, uh, a option that gives you a lower cost product as they raise the cost of their subscription service once again. Uh, they might half the price for anyone who's willing to watch ads. We are getting closer and closer to just having cable television be the option of choice for everybody everywhere. We're just not going to call it cable anymore. Uh, we essentially dilute a product eventually, the product that was the OG Netflix, the awesome thing that used to exist that had all the TV shows, all the movies you'd want to watch, all of it streaming for one low price, no commercials, no problem, no nothing. Now we got a bunch of issues, a bunch of uh, separation, and I think more often than not, people who, like me, stream something wind up buying one for one month and maybe another one for a different month. I'm back on a, a Disney kick. I'm back in on Disney Plus. Although the new She-Hulk TV show, maybe I'll talk about that in a second too. There's some problems with it. Uh, the biggest one probably being the way that she's better at controlling being the Hulk than Bruce Banner is because she's a woman and women deal with a lot of things every day that men don't deal with. That's actually in the show as the reason why that's fairly woke in concept. But I digress. Back to the other thing. Netflix is going to add a, a commercial option. Uh, Netflix is saying they expect a lot of people to be interested in this uh, because it's going to, again, be half the price. Now, here's the other stuff that I saw out there. A couple of them are just celebrities uh, saying crazy celebrity things. The first one is Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Shia LaBeouf has been in the news recently for a couple reasons. Did he quit or didn't he quit a movie is one of them. 
You probably don't care, so I'm not going to go all that long into that one. The other one is in a recent interview, he said he's cheated on every woman he's ever dated in his entire life. That's just a thing he's comfortable saying, that he's cheated on everybody. I'm not really shocked that a famous celebrity person may or may not have had enough opportunity to, say, step outside, whatever the relationship it is. I don't think he's ever been married, by the way, either. I didn't see that there. Uh, but step out of the dating relationship for some other uh, version of a, uh, a hangout session. That's what we'll call it. I'm not shocked. I'm just shocked at the openness, the talking about it the way he did. Uh, I guess he's now becoming more of a religious person. Uh, that's a real thing. Shia LaBeouf is saying he tries. he's trying to turn over a new leaf. Uh, someone, uh, myself, who at times has been called Catholic Craig on radio uh, because I am Catholic and sometimes it's been a gimmick, uh, I think it's interesting that with his faith, coinciding with his faith, is just large comeuppance of all the things he thinks he's done wrong, all the moments in his life he regrets. And one of them is the successful cheating on every relationship he's ever had, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, the other one is Russell Brand. He is getting a lot of flack, I guess, online. Uh, sometimes his, his show, his podcast gets complained about for being the opposite of what you'd expect from a Russell Brand. He seems like a woke actor, uh, a Hollywood actor, someone who describes himself as pretty far to the left. Uh, but more times than not, he actually discusses a topic the way that a conservative would, uh, the way that someone who's not interested in government lying and just pretending it doesn't exist would talk about things. Uh, but I thought this was interesting. He's getting in trouble because he's buying a very old uh, bar, a pub in the UK, and he's converting it to a vegan diner and people are not having it. This is like your hole-in-the-wall favorite stop all of a sudden not really serving any of the stuff you've come accustomed to it serving and instead being a vegan. I don't know why he's doing it. To be honest, I don't know what the determination is. Maybe he bought the property already and he's done, but this should probably not happen based on the substantial reaction out there in social media. All right, here's the other thing. This is the stuff that is a little more salacious, I guess. Uh, first, though, and this is the least uh, uh, dirty of the things, a study revealed that one in four Gen Z uh, people one in four of those individuals in our society plans on becoming a social media influencer. That's a real stat. They don't plan on going to college, uh, which I guess was what the last generation did and then needed the bailout. They plan on just becoming super famous on a social media platform, influencing others in their own group of, or whatever I guess society would be and making money that way. That is terrifying. So let's check in on social media influencers. That's what I thought we should do to end the show. Uh, let's talk about some that are finding success, the conversations they're having, and whether or not you'd want your children to look up to these individuals, uh, these people as people that you'd want them to be like. Uh, the first one is a young woman. Um, she is 26 years old, and she says she's embracing something unique about her body. Uh, her chest has two different sizes, uh, I guess, is, the, is essentially the conversation. That's the nicest way I can say it on the radio. Uh, but she said she's not going to get any kind of surgery. Uh, now that she's a social media influencer and can afford it. Uh, and of course, people have been asking her, are you going to get a surgery to fix the sizing issue you have? And she said, no. She said, it makes me unique. It makes me different. I'm going to keep being proud of who I am, and I'm going to enhance that difference in my body for the world to see. And surprisingly, she is doing well on social media. A young 20-something-year-old woman who is attractive, who has two different sized chest areas. <laughs> Surprising that she actually made it. She broke through. Uh, like one in four, I said, young people want to become an influencer, famous and make money off of social media. Uh, that woman survived, That woman succeeded in doing that. The other one is a social media trend that I don't know how to describe on the radio, 
Uh, so that's why I'm doing it at the end of this show. But I'm going to tell you not to do it. Multiple doctors are out there now saying that you could actually uh, get sick. You could cause yourself some kind of illness. But essentially, it is using your own personal body smell. That's the way I'm going to describe it. In lieu of perfume, this would be something that women would do. It would be uh, a smell from a certain part of your body. And a whole lot of people are doing this because social media is telling them to do it. And then also potentially giving themselves infections for doing it the way social media is telling them to do it. This is a surreal story to me. Uh, surreal in a lot of ways to me, and definitely also a great demonstration of why TikTok, social media, one in four young people are utterly flawed in wanting to be famous on that platform because what it actually is, uh, the reason I think even those videos are popular is not a reason the kids want them to be popular or a reason they fully understand. Essentially, it's taking advantage of them, and I say don't do this. I say this is crazy. I say TikTok needs to be stopped. This has been Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show.